7, we'll begin reading in verse number 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 5. Get my microphone set up here so we can be set and ready to go. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 5. If you are there, give me a second. I am not. All right. Verse number 5 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says this, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would please speak to hearts this evening. As we again dig into the lessons and in many cases the regrets of Solomon's latter years, I pray that You would help us to, to receive Your Word, to hear every word. And Holy Spirit, I yield this, this, this service to You and I yield myself to You. I beg you please that you would guide and direct my thoughts. That you would anoint this service with power from on high. Please, Lord, fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. We pray these, these things as we ask them in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Some of the most foolish decisions that we make in life come when we surround ourselves with people who make themselves wise and laugh during times when we should be seeking the Lord and seeking His wisdom and seeking His help, but instead they treat life as if they are full of their own wisdom. And the Bible says it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise. It would be better for us to surround ourselves with people who will tell us the truth than it is for us to surround ourselves with people who will instead bring laughter into our lives and try to make us feel better when what we really should be doing is hearing the truth. Some people will get together and, as friends often have a tendency to do, support each other even when you're being foolish. It's not always good if your friends are always kind. It's not always good if your friends are always treating things lightly. If you have yourself in a group of friends that you cannot ever be told the truth with, then you probably don't have good relationships. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools, to make, to make light of a serious situation. It would be better for somebody to tell you the truth and insert some wisdom and some rebuke. We went over some of these things in the Sunday school hour uh, for a couple of weeks uh, I would say probably a month or so ago. It is important for us to be rebukable and to be unoffendable. Now, the truth is that offenses will come. They come to all of us. And the truth is also that the Bible says in the book of James chapter 3 that uh, in, in many things we offend. With our tongue we are constantly 
out of control if we are of poor character. We do it more often than we should. And so our, in, in the things that we say with our mouths, we often offend. And unfortunately, it is just a part of life. And sometimes even when you're trying your dead level best to be under control with your spirit and with your mouth, you can still say dumb things. We all do it. And boy, if you're, if you're wise and tender-hearted, it'll bother you that you said something that hurts somebody else. But if you're a fool, then you just laugh about the things that are going on, and instead of being correctable, you think everything is just happy-go-lucky, and my life is perfect, and I'm the perfect person, and I'm the perfect Christian, and you can't ever be corrected. Verse number 7, the Bible says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Now, it's amazing that even when we go through, or even when a wise man goes through hard times, oppressive times, that even a wise man can be brought to madness. And it's important for us to remember that just because you have a little bit of wisdom one day doesn't mean that the next day you are going to be filled with it unless you seek the Lord in every situation that you have. The truth is that unfortunately, oppression comes and if you try to live off of the lessons of the past instead of seeking God's help when you go through your oppressions on a daily basis, instead of seeking new wisdom and wisdom from the Lord on a regular basis, who upbraideth not and giveth to all men liberally, then the Bible says that oppression can make a wise man mad. In other words, you need to constantly be seeking the Lord and His help in all of your oppressions. You can be wise one day and foolish the next. Isn't it amazing how that works? You can make a good decision today and make one tomorrow that you're going, what in the world was I thinking? And oppression can bring that on. Hard times and, and, and things that create tough decisions in your life. And if you don't seek the Lord in the midst of every decision in your life and you lean on your own understanding and think, well, I've been wise in the past, so I'll be fine today. The truth is that we ought to always be at the feet of the Lord in all of our hard times, seeking His wisdom daily. Verse number 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Now, you could look at this verse a little bit like what you look at some of the other passages in the book of Ecclesiastes with this almost fatalistic point of view that Solomon had at times. Remember that there are times that Solomon is relaying to us his thoughts at the time that he was living in such vanity, at the times in his life that he was living in such foolishness. And so the things that he relays to us is as if you were thinking about things as they are only under the sun, without an eternal focus, without an eternal view, only living for, for, for uh, uh, temporary pleasures and only living for the now and the moment. And if you're only living for the things that are under this sun and never living with an eternal focus, then things can be pretty discouraging at times. So when we come to verse 8, I don't believe that this is a fatalistic point of view. I don't think he's, he's giving us another one of those things where he's basically saying, I came to a point in my life where I thought it was better to be dead than to, a, to be alive. I think rather what he is saying is, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. In other words, the end of a task for one example, is a lot better than the beginning of a task. When, 
When you start some tasks at the beginning, it can feel daunting, it can feel overwhelming, but then when you finally get it finished, you finally get it completed, whether it's a job at work or, or whether it is a remodeling project at home or whether it is something at whatever it is, when you start out, you start working on your marriage, you start working on your relationships, at the beginning of almost everything, there's a desire to begin it, but when you actually start, it can be daunting and if you're not careful, overwhelming, right? But when you come to the end of it, the end of things is better than the beginning. When you see the end result, at the end is the satisfaction of a completed work. But not just, I don't believe, just tasks, but also the end of trials in our life. They seem frustrating and discouraging at first, don't they? When God allows a trial to begin in your life, sometimes they feel overwhelming. But what's important for us to remember is what comes at the end of a trial for somebody who has been patient. Remember, we've been dealing with that in the book of James. This past Sunday school hour, this past Sunday, we addressed the fact that the Bible says that we should let patience have her what? Perfect work. That ye may be what? Perfect and what? Entire what? Wanting nothing. In other words, God wants to make out of us a more perfect faith in us. He wants to work in us and make through our trials a better Christian, a more perfect person in His eyes. Everybody okay? The end of our trials is better than the beginning. If you have ever been patient through a long trial, at the end, there were so many lessons that you learned. There were so many things that God added to your faith. Is everybody okay? There were so many things at the end of it that God added to your faith that made the end better than the beginning. But some people don't ever get to the end because they don't have patience. We see young people quit too soon on the Christian life because they don't have patience through the hard times. I've said this over and over again for, man, nearly all the years I've been preaching, but this, this prosperity gospel has ruined the mindset of what true Christianity really is. You don't get saved and then everything turns into sunshine and roses. And can I just suggest this? If a person is saying that they never have any trials, and some preacher stands up and he smiles all the time and tells you how great God is and how successful life is and how great this and this and how perfect this and this because he just lives in faith and he never has any problems, he's either lying Or he's not dealing with the trials of true Christianity because he's not a Christian himself. <laughs> the Christian life is filled with trials, man. It doesn't make it worse than living without God. Living for the Lord is unmatchable to anything else. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But there will be times when you are going through something that the beginning, you cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's why the end is better than the beginning. 
And there is an end. When I was a young man, just a couple of times, uh, I grew up in West Virginia, and, and I love the hills, I love country life, and the Lord, for a little while, transplanted us in places that were not so uh, pleasing to me. I'd rather be in the country, but we, just a couple of times, I, we hunted all the time and fished and spent time in the outdoors, my father and I especially, but uh, I had a friend that lived about an hour and a half away, he's a pastor in um, Texas now, and we, uh, we'd get together every now and then and go hiking or camping, fishing, whatever. And I remember on a couple of occasions, we, on one particular occasion, I remember this one, we, uh, we loaded up some pots and some pans, some outdoor pots and pans and things, and fishing rods, and we, we, we grabbed our mountain bikes and threw them in the back of his truck, and we went out to a state park there in the, in the mountains and hills of West Virginia. We parked the truck and took all our stuff out, carried it on our backs, and, and, and rode through the hills. And, and there were old railroad um, there were old railroads that had been closed down and they had removed uh, the tracks and basically kept all of the underlying gravel that they use as a foundation for those tracks and turned them into trails all through the hills, all through these old railroads. We grabbed our bikes and, and uh, we were going to camp overnight and do some fishing and, and um, had a tent and everything. And so we got on our bikes and, and rode that trail. I don't remember how, many, how far, but rode that trail for a little while, and there were a couple of occasions where we came up to the old train tunnels going through the mountains. And you, don't, you can't ride your bike through those. So what we would do is we would, we would hop off, and, 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 and you, you walk your bike, and as you're going through these tunnels, you're walking your bike with one hand, and, and you're carrying gear with the other hand, and there just really wasn't a, there wasn't a way to have a flashlight at the same time. So... Sometimes you'd step in a puddle or whatever, you know, and, and get your feet all wet, but we were prepared for that. But what we would do is, is, is get to one side of the cave or of, of the tunnel and just feel the wall. And, and walk like you, you know, like you do when you get up in the middle of the night and you, you don't want to turn the lights on, right? And you're just feeling things. And so you walk with your bike on one side and, and, and feel the, 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 the wall of the, of the tunnel on the other side. And we'd, we'd walk through those tunnels. And there would be times where from the very beginning when you walked in, your eyes haven't adjusted yet, you can see absolutely no light at the end of the tunnel, literally. And even after your eyes adjusted, you just keep walking, no light, keep walking, no light, keep walking, no light. And after you get, after you get through it a little while, eventually you'll see this little pinhole of light. And you talk about putting hope in the heart of a teenage guy. Like, okay, we're almost there. And each, each step you take, the light grows a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until you get to the point where the light is actually penetrating the tunnel and you can see your feet again and you can see the walls again. And the Christian life can often be that way. When you start at the beginning of a trial, often there is no light, and you have no clue how this is going to end. You have no clue what this is going to look like in the end. But the reality is, if you'll just keep being patient and put one foot in front of the other, you will come to a point where you will start seeing the end. And when you get to the end of that, what God can do to your faith 
and with you as one of His dear people, the end will be better than the beginning. Verse number 9 goes with verse number 8. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. We have to stay patient and realize the end will be better than the beginning. And don't be quick to get angry at the things you don't understand. Verse number 10, Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? Hello? Does that sound familiar? What's the purpose of all this? Things were a lot better a year ago. Huh? Is this not human? Is anybody willing to knock the halo off your head for just a second? And admit that there are times when our heart says, what is the cause of all of this? What is the purpose of all of this? But be careful to say, I wish I was back in Egypt. Huh? Because the mixed multitude fell a-lusting and they started saying, it would have been a lot better for us to stay back there. And they had forgotten the deliverance. They had forgotten the provision of the Lord. They had forgotten where God had brought them and what He had done because the trials were becoming so great that they became blind to what God had done. And they just started looking back and saying, what is the cause of all of this? The days that we lived in before this were a lot better than this. And I don't agree with what's going on. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Hello? You know what the Lord just said? It's not a wise question. Don't wish that everything God has brought you through and everything He is trying to do in your life wasn't happening. It's a foolish question. Because if... Your desire is to be close to God, and if your desire is to grow as a Christian, there are going to be some days where there will be hardships, and it is not wise to ask questions like, why would the Lord put me through worse days than the ones I used to live through? Verse number 11, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them, that see the sun. We switch topics here just a little bit. It's, it's, it's becoming a little bit like the book of Proverbs. But there's, there's a lot of things in here that are hard to skip over. So I want to I I touch on some of them. And maybe as much as I don't like uh, skipping around because I really like for you to be able to leave with one truth in your mind and in your heart, uh, sometimes God can use just one truth that one person needs and another truth that another person needs. So just hang on. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, but by it, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. Now, if a well, let's look at verse number uh, twelve. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a what? Isn't that an interesting phrase? 
But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. How many, how many of us have seen somebody inherit something that they didn't work for and apply no wisdom and the inheritance did them no good? Hello? They applied no wisdom to what they received. And, and this is true on a spiritual level. The truth is that sometimes we're asking God for things that He just cannot trust us with yet. Because we don't have the wisdom to handle it. I heard Dr. Terry Angel say this uh, a few years ago at a pastor's conference. He was preaching to discourage preachers largely. Powerful message. I think the title of it was something like, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Basically just a quotation of the passage of Scripture. And he was talking about the trials that preachers experience. And he was encouraging them not to quit. And he said, you know, the truth is that most of us, or maybe he said all of us, we cannot handle success too early because we're just not able to handle it. So God will put you through days that are difficult. God will put you through days where He prepares the man before He allows you the successes. And I believe that is true in the Christian life as well. We need wisdom with all of the inheritances that God allows us to have. And by it, there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. There is much greater benefit in having wisdom than there is in having all of the money in the world. Above all things, get wisdom and understanding. Yes? Verse number 13, Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which He hath made crooked? You know, in other words, who are we to question God about what He's doing? We, we can't change it. <laughs> So we might as well trust Him and keep praying and keep trusting and keep praying and keep trusting and keep praying because when God begins to do a work, who can do anything about it? God is ultimately in control, is He not? And when He decides to work on us, we might as well just settle in and be patient and be careful what questions we ask. Verse number 14, In the day of prosperity, be what? Joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. Now we're going to go on with that, but remember this, this is a, a reference back to some of the passages that we're told that to enjoy and, and to be able to experience the fruit of your labor in this life under this sun is a gift from God, right? So, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. I mean, some, some people, it, it, sometimes it's just personality. But some people won't allow themselves to enjoy good days. Some people have been so hurt, they can't enjoy good days. Listen, when things are going well, enjoy it. You know, I think some of us have taken this too far where we've heard preachers say, 
or, or other people say, or books say, or whatever. This concept of never getting too high and never getting too low. And through that has come, I think, a perversion of the idea. It doesn't mean that you should just be constantly without feeling. It doesn't mean that you should just be constantly unable to live on the mountaintops. It's just that we shouldn't allow our emotional highs and our emotional lows to control us. Because we make bad decisions in the highs and in the lows sometimes. We have to be careful. But my soul, you think that every now and then when God blesses you, you ought to enjoy it? Learn how to stop and smell the roses or the wildflowers or whatever we have around here. And in the day of prosperity, be joyful. When you have your family around, soak it up. Right, Stallman's? Be joyful about that. If you like your family, uh, I hope you do. Um, when you get a little bonus at work, enjoy it, if you can. If you have to use it to pay off bills, I've been there before. But sometimes even that can give you a little bit of relief. Enjoy it. You know, if you can, if you, and I'm serious. You know, if you've been saving money to try to pay off bills and you get a little bonus at work, all right, use the majority of it to pay off your bills. But take like $15 of it and get a pizza. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, tithe first. Not because I need the money or the church needs the money. The God, the, 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 the God, the God will take care of his church. Uh, the God of heaven. I don't know why that came out that way. Uh, God will take care of his church. We're not concerned about that. But because of the blessings that come from us giving God what belongs to Him. But, but when God blesses you with something, enjoy it. Man, Christians, don't, have, man, don't walk around all the time just, well, I don't, in order to be right with God, I'm not really supposed to enjoy anything in this life, only looking on the eternal. <laughs> don't live that way. Enjoy life when you have the chance. It's a good thing. Enjoy a good day when you get to spend it with friends. Stop every now and then and consider what you're experiencing and it'll help slow time down a little bit and you'll be able to be in the moment and soak it up. It's a good thing. If you have a chance to sit down and watch a movie with your family, enjoy it. Be present. Put the phone down and just enjoy being together. I don't know why I said that. Just The right kind of movies, obviously. He said movies from the pulpit. Oh, no. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. You know, we overthink life sometimes. You don't have to, why are things going good? <laughs> okay, maybe it's not time to consider. Maybe right now it's just time to enjoy. Can you do that? Don't overthink it. Things are going good. Just don't overthink it. But when there's adversity, okay, now stop and consider. Hello? Now think. All right, Lord. What are you trying to teach me? Yes? All right, Lord. What are you trying to help me with in my faith? Stop and consider. Learn lessons from the days of adversity. Yes? 
But don't overthink the joyful days. Just enjoy them. Enjoy Christmas. Brother Matt, enjoy Christmas. <laughs> Not his favorite holiday. Uh, enjoy Thanksgiving. I know, I'm just, I'm, I'm lingering on the point. I want to try to get it across. Be joyful when you get that raise. It's a good thing. It's not a spiritual thing to be like, well, you know, I just don't deserve this. You know, <laughs> Enjoy it. Don't overthink things. It's time to consider when you're going through adversity. Is everybody okay? But if not, you, man, you lay your life with burdens that you don't need to carry in the good days. Let good days be good days. Let them. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. I think. Now you study this out and determine what you think that means. But I think it just means, in my opinion, and there are different ways to look at that, that passage. So I could be wrong. But from what I understand the Bible is saying that, you know, God maintains control. And He sets good days sometimes against bad days to do a work in our lives. And also, just so that He always remains God. That we continue to rely upon Him. And we don't, we're not always going to be able to live in the days of prosperity. There will be days that we're just not going to be able to figure God out. <laughs> as hard as we try. There will be things He's doing that we just won't understand. And when He gives you a day to prosper, enjoy it. When He gives you a day of adversity, consider it. And understand that God's going to do things you may not understand. And that's just His way so that He can maintain His Godship over us. Not that He's putting us through hard days just so He can be like, I'm God, so here's a hard day. That's not what I mean. But in His timing, when He decides, He'll allow us to go through days of adversity to grow us and help us and increase our faith. And the timing of all that, who knows? Only God knows. We all need to grow, right? Because it doesn't prosper us in the long run to only have days of prosperity. It just doesn't. You need to grow. We all need to grow. We all need to learn. We all need... How many of you have said throughout the course of your life, and isn't it a terrible thing to, to, to be true, but it's true, Unfortunately, this is me. My hand is as high up as I can get it. I learn more in the, in, in the hard days than I do in the good. We don't learn as many lessons when things are going well. But don't overthink it. If things are going well, enjoy it. Yes? And when the days of adversity come and God just determines it's time now. It's time for you to grow some more. Hello? He'll grow you and then He'll let you experience some fun. And then it'll be like, all right, it's time to grow some more. It's time to go through some more tests. We're never going to figure God out. We don't know His timing, but His timing is always best. All right, we've got to move, got to move, got to move. I'm not going to finish the chapter, so don't fear. Verse number 15. 
All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. The days of his vanity. Key phrase. The days when he was living in vanity and vexation of spirit, not living for God. Are you with me? All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. And y'all, that is true. Whether we like it or not, it's true. And if you're not careful, you'll get, you'll get mad at God about it. Why is it that an evil and a wicked man that makes evil and wicked movies in Hollywood lives until he's 80, 90 years old and a good missionary dies in his 30s? Why? And if you're not careful and you're living in vanity and only with a view of things taking an earthly view, not taking a heavenly view, not taking an eternal view, but just looking at things in a temporal way, if you're not careful, you'll start to question God about these things. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Now, uh, let's read verse number 17. Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? All right. Now, I heard, I heard a... I heard a preacher say this once, that verse number 16, you know what, I'm not going to tell you what he said because I don't want to warp your thinking. I don't agree with him, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise. Okay, now, does the Bible tell us that above all thy getting, get understanding? Yes. And apply wisdom? And that, and that to gain wisdom is above all of the rubies and riches of the earth? Yes. So is God telling us not to gain wisdom? No, that would be a contradiction of Scripture, right? So what is he saying here? Is he saying that you shouldn't, and that's essentially what that preacher was saying. That we, anyway, I'm not going to go into it. I believe what God is saying is simply this. Excessive righteousness, like pharisaical righteousness. Are you with me? Be not righteous over much. Don't be that guy. Don't be that woman that, that, that lives with excessive rules that go beyond the Scriptures and makes Christianity way too hard for yourself and for others. You know, remember God said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 20 concerning the Pharisees, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what was he saying? He was saying, look, they have set up a system of rules and guidelines that are impossible to follow, and they think by following their guidelines and rules that they are making their, themselves a way to heaven. Right? In other words, they thought they were opening the door to heaven by following all of their excessive rules of righteousness that weren't even biblical rules. They were overmuch righteous. Yes? But I think there's also something else to that. <laughs> Don't think too much of yourself and your righteousness. Excessive pride about your own personal righteousness, your own personal standards, your own personal holiness sets you up for destruction. Well, my standards are better than so-and-so's, so I'm a, hmm, are they now? <laughs> that sounds like a Pharisee comment. 
We have to be careful about setting ourselves up and saying, well, I'm, I'm righteous, man. Got it. I got it done. Life is good. No, don't be over-righteous. Let him that think that he standeth take heed lest he... Right? There should, never come, there should never come a point in any of our lives where we're like, I am so holy. <laughs> Man, do I got this one figured out. Anytime I started getting that attitude, and you too, right? I mean, if you don't, don't even tell me you've never gotten that feeling just once in your life. Like, I'm starting to get things figured out. Please tell me you've had that at least once in your life. I mean, does it almost always, not just almost always, immediately follow itself with total humility? Oh, the stories I could tell about my own life. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Pride goeth before destruction, and in haughty spirit before a fall. I think this is just talking about pride. Just, I am over much wise, so I can't be taught anything. I know everything. Hello? Man, it is, oh. It is a grief to me as a preacher sometimes to deal with people that can't be taught anything because it's crazy. They'll come to you seeking help, but they don't listen. They know they have a problem, but then when you give them instruction, they don't listen to the instruction. They give you all of the answers to the problems that they're coming to you for, for help with. And they can't be taught anything. And you're like, you walk away from those meetings going, this is grieving to me. Because that person genuinely knows they need help, but they are not humble enough to listen. They know things are falling apart, but they won't humble themselves enough to take any instruction. Biblical instruction. I always, I always try my best to point back to the Scriptures. If somebody comes to me for help, I try to use that as a guide. Not my personal understanding. Not some psychology book I read. This. This is the book that we need to guide our lives with. So if you come ask me questions, don't get frustrated with me I say, if I say, well, the Bible says. Well, I don't care what the Bible says. How should I? No, no. Oh, well, all right, then go find a psychologist. But you came to a preacher. If you want an answer for this and you expect me not to give you Bible, then don't come to the preacher. Go see the psychiatrist. Leave me out of it. But if you're going to come to me, I'm going to try my best to give you Bible answers for your problem. And we don't always like those Bible answers because what we want often is when we're going through problems is to be coddled because we're too proud to realize that we might actually be able to make some adjustments to help ourselves with those problems. We think it's everybody else's fault, so instead, we really just come seeking sympathy and agreement instead of real counsel. Preacher, I'm just really going through it and I just wanted to tell you about it. I will listen to that all day long. But if you're going to ask me, so what do I do? I'm going to do my best to show you from this what, what the Bible says you should do. And that's not always fun because we have our minds made up often about which direction we ought to go and what would be good for us. And the Bible doesn't always jive with that. Don't be over much wise. Why come to early destruction? Why do that to yourself? Right? And don't be over much righteous. Don't be so proud of yourself. We all are nothing but a bunch of sinners. All of us. All of us. Verse number 18, and we're closing. You see it? 
it is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. You see that? A person who truly fears God and takes hold of the instructions that they've just received will come out above all others that don't. In the end, it'll be better for you if you fear God and humble yourself before Him than if you make yourself overmuch righteous and overmuch wise. Always be teachable and always know God's holiness in comparison with our so-called righteousness. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would please imprint upon the hearts and minds of Your people a lesson, a thought, a truth that can help them. Lord, I don't know what You drew to our attention this evening. There were a few different thoughts to take with us. Lord, maybe it was the thought of gaining wisdom and not being over much wise, thinking that we're in no need of lessons. Maybe it was simply the idea that we need to consider the work of God. What is it that you are doing? And in the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. Lord, I don't know what it is that you intended for each person to receive this evening, but I pray that you would please imprint these truths upon our hearts and minds and help us to be responsive to you in the invitation time. Convict us of our sins. Compel us of the things that we ought to be doing. Comfort us about the things that we've been burdened with. Please work in this invitation time. In just a moment, we're going to have the invitation. I know on Wednesday nights, sometimes it's just a lot of teaching. And that was certainly the case this evening. 